0: Hello and welcome to the Beach House 34 True Crime and Paranormal Podcast. Today we are covering the Darley Routier trial and we are continuing with the testimony of James Cron, who was the retired crime scene analyst who came out to the Routier home to look at items and within less than a half an hour, make the verbal, as I understand it, verbal determination that it was an inside job. We are starting January 16th, 1997. And on this day of testimony, we have two people, James Cron, obviously. Uh, His actually goes quite long. So there will be a couple of episodes covering his testimony today. And then after we finish with that, it will be Helena Sabin. Who was a um, is a Polish native and mother, and I know this is going to this will make sense here in a little bit. Mother of Barbara Jovell, who was a friend of Darley's. Now Helena did laundry and some cleaning at the Routier home on June fourth and fifth, and so she will be following on this same day after we get through with James Cron's testimony. So before we begin, let's talk about what James Cron testified to in the previous episode. Essentially, he went around the house uh, doing what he considered a walkthrough and started in that episode in the garage. And he said that he looked in the garage, there wasn't any blood, he went out the front door, Around to the back of the house so that he could go and look in the driveway as well as the entryway into the backyard through the fence. As he was walking around the house, he does say that he looked at all of the windows and looked in the flower beds, could find no signs of disturbance. He did say he could not find anything in the driveway itself, such as uh, scuff marks, I'm guessing from maybe a vehicle that sped away Quickly, there was no blood in the driveway. He did say that there were scuff marks near the bottom of the outside of the fence door and had a discussion with Officer Walling about this and then determined that the scuff marks were of no importance, but we never really hear any detail about this as to why. So maybe this will be something that's covered a little bit later. He then walks into the backyard, walks over to the window where the screen was cut. He didn't find anything there. He looked around the backyard in general to look for signs of someone perhaps scaling the fence from the inside. He looked for mulch disturbance. And here also, he said that he couldn't find any disturbance of the mulch. He didn't see any anything inside the spa that was there in the backyard, nothing unusual. There were no pry marks on the sliding glass doors going into or going into the family room from the fenced-in backyard. He constantly mentions that he didn't, quote unquote, see any blood on the outside in the backyard. He just took this walkthrough and just looked and made this determination. He further talks about the steps that are required in a police investigation and suggested also uh, to the Rollett Police Department that they bring in people from SWIFT's. So this is essentially the crime lab in Dallas And he suggested the name Charles Lynch. And Charles Lynch will actually testify in a couple of days. So we'll get to hear his side of the story. They further talk about the glass that was found on the kitchen floor, along with the overturned vacuum cleaner on the kitchen floor. And after lifting the vacuum cleaner, the bloody footprints that were underneath it, as well as pieces of glass... So essentially, in the previous episode, we're hearing more about his initial walkthrough of the here home. And to hear all of the details, I suggest uh, listening to that episode, episode number 75. And today, we begin this new day of testimony. And again, James Cron is on the stand, and he is being questioned by the prosecutor, main prosecuting attorney, Mr. Greg Davis. Sir, again, you are James Cron, is that right? That's correct. The same James Cron that testified yesterday in this cause? Yes. Okay. Mr. Cron, I believe when we left yesterday, we were talking about certain marks that you saw on the kitchen floor that day on June 6th, 1996, when you were at 5801 Eagle Drive. Do you recall that? Yes. Okay. And I believe that we last had referred to States Exhibits 43-A and 43-B. Do you recall that also, sir? Yes. Okay. Sir, let me ask you, if you will, to look at States Exhibit 43-C and 43-D. Do you recognize those two photographs, sir? I do do they truly and accurately depict the floor there at 5801 Eagle Drive as it appeared on June 6th, 1996, sir? Yes. Again, Mr. Cron, if you will please step down just for a moment. Mr. Cron, let me ask you first, looking here at State's Exhibit 43-C, does that appear to be essentially the same photograph we have here in State's Exhibit number 43-A? Yes. Does it show a little bit more of the floor than we show here in 43 A? It does, yes. Okay, and again, states exhibit 43 C. Can you refer for the members of the jury the marks that you were referring to yesterday that you believe to be roll marks? Yes, sir. It was these marks on the left side of the photograph here and here. Okay. And an additional mark up here that I am pointing to now? Yes. Okay. And again, when you saw these marks, the vacuum cleaner was still, was it still in the position that is shown here in this photograph? Yes, it was. Officer Maine had not yet moved it. Is that right? That's correct. And looking here at State's Exhibit 43-D, Are we looking essentially at the same portion of the floor as shown here in States Exhibit 43-B? Yes, okay. And again, looking at this, do we see the same marks that you have indicated earlier looking at the previous photograph that we see here? Yes, okay. Do you see any other marks on States Exhibit 43-D that you believe may be roll marks also? this could possibly be some at the bottom center of the photograph. Okay. And again, 43-D was taken after the vacuum cleaner had been lifted off the floor by Officer Main. Is that right? That's right. Let me ask you, Mr. Cron, did you have an opportunity? Do you recognize State's Exhibit 93 here? I do. Okay. And do you recognize this to be the photograph shown of the vacuum cleaner shown in state's exhibit 43-A? Yes. Did you have an opportunity to observe this vacuum cleaner while it was still laying on the floor? I did. And what, if anything, did you observe on state's exhibit 93 as it was on the floor? There were there was some traces of blood or what appeared to be blood. Okay. If we could position the vacuum cleaner here on the floor, Is this essentially the position that the vacuum cleaner was in when you saw it here on the floor? Yes. Okay. And just if you could, in general, show us where you observed blood that day. Here again, I can't pinpoint exactly where I saw the blood. I would have to look at photographs to compare it, but there was some blood on the handle area, a little blood on the body of the vacuum, some blood on the wheels. Okay. Today, we have got tape on the wheels, I take it? Yes. The tape was not on the wheels back on June 6th. Is that right? That's right. So, you were able to observe blood while the vacuum cleaner was on the floor? Yes. And there was some blood up in this area, in this area here. Okay. And you're pointing toward what I am going to call the top of the bag portion of the vacuum cleaner. Yes. Below the handle on the top of the bag. All right. Do you recall how Officer Main lifted this vacuum cleaner off the floor? Yes. I was standing in this position and he was at the base and he handled it. And here again, exact position. He put his hand, I don't recall, but it was in this area here. He picked it up. Okay. Somewhere in this area. Okay. And again, did you have an opportunity, once the vacuum cleaner had been lifted up off the floor, did you have an opportunity to look at the vacuum cleaner a little bit more? Yes. Okay. Thank you. You can go back up on the witness stand. Mr. Kron, let me show you photographs that have been marked as State's Exhibit 46-A, 46-B, 46-C, 46-D, 46-E, 46-F and 46-G. Do you recognize those photographs, sir? I do. Do they truly and accurately depict the blood that you saw on the vacuum cleaner, State's Exhibit 93, on June sixth, 1996, sir? Yes. Mr. Kron. if you could step down again, we can go over these photographs with the jurors. Okay, Mr. Kron. looking at State's Exhibits 46-A and 46-B, are we looking at the handle portion of the vacuum cleaner? Yes. What do we see in state's exhibit 46-A and 46-B? Okay. In 46-A, there is some red discoloration on the handle, what appears to be blood or apparent blood. And the same on the side view of the handle in 46-B, there is red blood substance, a uh, looking substance on the side of the handle. How would you characterize the blood that you saw on the handle? More of drops, smears, smears, smears on the handle? Yes. Let me ask you whether or not the blood that you saw on the handle, would that have been consistent with an individual actually holding the handle while having blood on their hands? Yes, Uh uh-huh. state's exhibit numbers 46-C, D, and E, starting with 46-C are we looking at, again, the top portion of the bag of this vacuum cleaner, sir? We are. Okay, and can you point out the blood that's on the photograph? Yes, there is some blood on 46-C on the top of the bag, which is this area here. And if we turn the vacuum cleaner around then, are we looking at the back portion now of the vacuum cleaner in States Exhibit 46-D and 46-E? Yes and again, blood there also. Yes, discolorations of blood up on the side near the cord and on the cord and on, I don't know what that is called, anyway, the shaft of the vacuum cleaner. Okay, now looking at state's exhibit 46-F and 46-G, are we looking at the base of the vacuum cleaner here? Yes, and again, Would you just point out to the members of the jury the blood that you see in those photographs? On the two photographs, there's some blood in this area, which would be the corner of the base of the vacuum. Let me look. I got a glare here. Some blood in this area here. Now, Mr. Kron, the blood that you observed on this vacuum cleaner, tell me whether or not it appeared that some of the blood that you saw on this vacuum cleaner had been deposited on the vacuum cleaner. When it was standing upright as it is now, it looked like most of it was when it was in its down position. Okay. Laying on the floor, there was some on the handle. It had been smeared. It could have been when it was in an upright position. Okay. And then most of it that you observed would have been deposited while the vacuum cleaner was in this position. Mr. Mulder then says, Object to leading. Mr. Greg Davis says, Is that correct? Mr. Mulder says, leading. The court says, we sustained the objection. Let's phrase our question properly. Mr. Greg Davis then says, Mr. Cron, let me ask you whether or not you observed blood that you believe to have been deposited while the vacuum cleaner was lying down. I did. The drops were round, oval to round shapes, which indicates straight drops. Okay, you may go back. Mr. Cron, tell me when officer Maine lifted this vacuum cleaner, were you in agreement with that decision at that time? Yes, okay. And did you have any concerns at that time about officer Maine possibly obscuring possible fingerprints on this vacuum cleaner? No, and I can elaborate on that if you would like. Yes, sir, if you would. Normally there might be handprints or fingerprints on the handle and I didn't want it disturbed. If something has to be lifted, you usually go to the root of least disturbance on any possible agency. I did mention to him, be careful, although I felt like he was, but I wanted to make sure he didn't touch the handle itself. Because we could see some blood there, and I thought there might be a bloody print on it when we examined it closer. Now, I want to direct your attention to, again, the kitchen floor and ask you about footprints that you may have seen on the floor. I know looking at States Exhibit 43-B, do we see footprints in that photograph, sir? Bare footprints, yes, sir. And just so we can get oriented, what direction would these footprints be leading in States Exhibit 43-B? In the photo, the prints, I can't say north, south, or west, but they are heading to the lower right-hand corner of the photograph. Okay. Would this be toward the sink in the kitchen or away from the sink in the kitchen? Away. Did you see any bloody footprints, Mr. Cron, that led from the family room toward the utility room? None. Did you see any bloody footprints in the utility room? Let me back up. No bare footprints. There was a footprint. Okay. I'm talking about bare footprints like we see here in 43-B. There were no bare footprints at all in the kitchen except by the sink there. All right. The utility room? None. Okay. Any bloody bare footprints leading from the utility room back to the sink? No. Did you see bloody footprints that you believed to be different sizes in the kitchen? No. Now, did you ever observe anything in the kitchen that you believed to be a bloody shoe print? There was a partial one. I did see one. Okay. If you would, look at State's Exhibit 43-G. Tell me whether or not you recognize that, sir. I do. Okay. And does that truly and accurately depict the, that portion of the kitchen floor as it appeared on June 6th, 1996? Yes. Mr. Greg Davis then says, Your Honor, at this time, we will offer States Exhibit 43-G. Mr. Mulder then says, We don't have any objection to it. If we could have him clear it up as to where that is on the kitchen floor. And Mr. Greg Davis says, I'll have him do that. Court says, "Okay, go ahead. Well, it's admitted. Are you going to object to my admitting it? Mr. Mulder says, no, if he wasn't going to do that, I would ask to take the witness on voir dire to establish where that was on the floor. If he is going to do that, that's fine with me. The court then says, all right, state's exhibit number 43-G is admitted. Okay, Mr. Cron, first of all, what do we see here in state's exhibit 43-G? It's a partial footprint on the kitchen floor in what appears to be blood, a heel print of a shoe or a boot. Do you recall what part of the kitchen that this was found? Yes. Exact measurements I don't have, but it's about halfway between the end of the counter to the island counter and the utility room door heading in the direction of the utility room door. Okay. Did you see any other bloody shoe prints there in the kitchen besides the one depicted in State's Exhibit 43-G? No. Did you ever do anything with 43-G, the shoe print shown in State's Exhibit 43-G, in an effort to identify who might have left that track? Yes. What did you do? Well, through the Rowlett PD, the negatives, I had them submitted to the photo lab, Dallas County Sheriff's Department photo lab, for one-to-one. That is actual size blow-ups made. And then I had Rowlett PD take footwear impressions of everybody that was at the scene, including my own. I took my shoes there that I was wearing that night, so I got... Let me ask you, what is a one-to-one photograph? One-to-one is true size, actual size. That is the purpose for placing rulers in crime scene pictures. If a ruler is in a photograph, the photo lab personnel can, using the negative, can enlarge the image from the negative, to where the ruler becomes its actual size on the photographic paper. And when the ruler is its true size, when they print it, everything in the picture will be its true size. That is why rulers are used in crime scene pictures. Well, once you got to the one-to-one photograph of the shoe print, did you compare it against something to all of the footprints of everybody that was present there that morning? Okay, and were you able to determine through your comparisons, who actually left this shoe print shown in States Exhibit Number 43-G. Yes. Who was it? It was Sergeant Matt Walling. I may be mispronouncing his name. Walling. Okay. It was consistent with being his and no others at the scene. Okay. Now, Mr. Cron, I want to direct your attention. Do you recall a wine rack being present in the kitchen, sir? I do. Did you have an opportunity that morning to observe the wine rack? Yes. First of all, let me ask you Did you observe any blood on the wine rack itself? I didn't. Did you observe any blood on any of the bottles or the glasses on the wine rack? I didn't see any. Did you see any items on the wine rack itself that were broken? No. Were there glasses on the wine rack? Yes. Okay, they were not broken? They were not. Were there wine bottles there also? Yes. Okay. Were they broken? No. Did you ever examine the wine rack to determine what amount of force would be necessary to move the wine rack? I did. Okay. Can you tell the members of the jury what you did in that regard? Okay. This was later in the evening, and after all the fingerprints were finished on it, I shook the wine rack, rattled it, bumped into it and jarred it to see if any glasses would fall off, and none did. In the kitchen itself, what items did you find to be broken? A wine glass. Okay. Mr. Cron, let me ask you now, if at any time you went back into the family room area and observed carpet in that room. Yes, I did. Did you have an opportunity to observe the section of the carpet that would be behind the west couch? Between the couch and the windows that lead to the backyard? I did. Did you observe anything when you looked at that, sir? Yes. What did you see back there? Well, on the carpet, there were several smudges, some of them in the appearance of heels of footwear. Okay. And do you know what was done with that section of the carpet? Yes. While I was there, it was cut out. Okay. Did you recommend that that be done? Yes. Okay. Now, did you ever have an opportunity to? Well, did you have an opportunity to look at the section of carpet after it had been cut out? I did. Did you also have an opportunity again to look at all of the impressions, the shoe impressions left by all of the emergency personnel back there? Yes. Were you ever able to determine who left the shoe prints or the impressions back there on that section of the carpet behind the couch? Yes. Okay. And how did you do that? I had not only the carpet, but photographs taken of the prints on the carpet. I had then enlarged to their actual size, true size. Using them, I compared them with the footwear impressions of everybody at the scene that morning. And what was the result? The results, three of them are consistent, or the three patterns are consistent with being the boot pattern of the paramedic. And I probably have some trouble pronouncing his name, but I know his nickname. What is his nickname? Toad. Toad? Right. Okay. I can't recall. How about I have his name? It was on the pictures. Let me give it a shot. Koshak? That is it. Does that sound familiar to you? That's it. Okay. Also, sir, do you recall whether or not you observed any other area of carpet that you thought should be removed? there were some areas that something needed to be done with, either removed or checked further for prints. Okay. Were any other sections of carpets actually removed while you were there? Not while I was there. Okay. Did you ever? Well, let me just direct your attention. Mr. Greg Davison says, can all of the jurors see this? And they respond, yes, that they can. Mr. Cron, looking at State's Exhibit 35-C, do you recognize what is shown there, sir? Yes. What is that? It's a, you mean each specific item? No. What part of the room is this? Oh, it's near the couch and glass coffee table. Okay. Now look at State's Exhibit 35-E. Do you see what I'm pointing at here, sir? I do. What is that? Looks like a small palm print in blood on the carpet. Could you, when you first went into the family room, could you see the palm print here shown in State's Exhibit 35 E? No. Okay. What did you have to do in order to see that? Well, we had to move the objects after the initial photographs were taken, conducting a crime scene investigation during the moving of things that was discovered. Okay. Do you see what I'm pointing at here in 35 C? Yes. Okay. What is that? A blanket. Did you have to move that? Yes, sir. Let me ask you a couple of questions here. Do you see what appears to be a pillow here in 35-C? Yes. Do you see that? Yes. Did you have a chance to look at that pillow that day? Later that day? Yeah, I did. Yes. Okay. Could you see any cuts or defects in that pillow? No. Let me direct your attention to what appears to be a gold pillow in States Exhibit 35-C. Did you also have an opportunity to look at that, Mr. Cron? I turned it over and looked at it. Yes, sir. Could you see any cuts or tears or other defects in that pillow, sir? I didn't notice any. And now the let me point to the couch here that is shown in States Exhibit 35-C. Did you have a chance to look at that couch also? I did. What is that couch made of? Vinyl or similar material, plastic, similar to leather. Okay, did you see any cuts or tears or defects in that couch that morning? I didn't observe any. How about the other couch in the family room shown in States Exhibit No. 35-H? Any cuts or defects or tears in that couch that you saw? No. Is there also a chair that sits across in that room? There is. Any cuts or defects or tears in that chair? I didn't see any. Mr. Cron, on June the 6th, do you have an estimate of the amount of time that you spent out there at 5801 Eagle Drive? Yes. How long were you out there? Till 3:30 pm. that day. You got out there about what time? I entered the scene a little after 6am. What about nine and a half hours? Yes. Of that amount of time, of the nine or nine and a half hours, what percentage of your time was spent actually inside of the house? Oh, a majority of it. Probably seven hours, seven and a half inside. Okay. Now, Mr. Kron, I would like to turn your attention to certain latent prints that were given to you for comparison. Were certain latent prints given to you for comparison at a later date? Yes. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about prints. Are there differing kinds of prints? Yes. Could you explain to us what those kinds might be? well, there's only three kinds of basic fingerprint patterns. I'm not mentioning or going to talk right now about palms and joints of fingers, footprints and toe prints, but just the tips of the fingers. There's only three patterns. These patterns have what you call subgroups. A lot of people uh, have heard of whorls and loops and arches. Well, that is the three patterns and there's two kinds of arches. There's four kinds of whorls and two kinds of loops. We all have a loop and whorl pattern or a combination of these. We might have all whorls, we might have all arches, loops. It's a mixture on people, but we all have one or more of these three basic patterns. Okay, you mentioned the fingerprints, right? Yes, sir. Joints of fingers? Yes. Joints, the rest of the joints, the palms of the hands, the soles of the feet and toes, have patterns and friction ridges composed of the same type of ridges we have on the tips, but they are not classified into whorls, loops, and arches. That is only for classification purposes for the fingerprint tips, but we have similar ridges in all of the rest of our hands and feet. Okay, do fingerprints differ by sex? No. So, you can't, can you differentiate? If you see a fingerprint that is left, can you differentiate between male and female on that print? Not on the basis of the print alone. You can make educated guesses based on size. That is not, you may not be 100% accurate, but you can look at the size and say, this probably is a male with large hands, but scientifically, no, you cannot tell the difference. Okay, how about race? Can you differentiate that by fingerprints or palm prints? Not at all. Do our fingerprints change as we grow older? I am talking about if, say, just to give you an example, a five-year-old child, as opposed to my fingerprints, are they going to change over time from when I was five to what I am now? No, not as far as the identity. The only thing that would change would be size, but your prints remain the same from pre-birth until you decompose. Those patterns stay the same. The size will change with age. What size? The finger or something else? The ridges. What do you mean, ridges? The skin, the friction, ridges? With, say, a newborn, you will have very tiny, you almost need a magnifying glass to see the ridges in a newborn, as opposed to someone, say, 50, 20 years old. They are pretty discernible with the naked eye. It's the size of the skin ridges. Mr. Kron, are you familiar with how fingerprints are lifted? Yes. Okay. Can you describe for the members of the jury now, if you go out to a crime scene, the methods that you use to process a scene and lift latent fingerprints? Well, that is a pretty lengthy subject, but there's different ways to lift prints or to develop prints. Quite often, it depends on the surface the print is on, or you think a print might be on. Weather conditions. One of the basic ways at scenes is to use a powder, dry powder. Normally, this is a black powder. It can be different colors, but black powder is generally used. The black powder adheres to any moisture that may be on an invisible or semi visible print. And by adhering to the ridges in the shape, the moisture and the shape of the ridges on the tips of our fingers or palms, it becomes visible and we developed a print. Okay, how do you go about comparing a fingerprint that you find at a crime scene to another fingerprint? How do you do that? Well, there's several steps. These are rapid steps. It doesn't take long. First, you look to see if the unknown print from the crime scene has the same pattern, one of the three patterns I mentioned, the basic patterns. If it is, then you get into a little more detail. You look for individual characteristics that may be in the finger pattern. When you find a sufficient number of these characteristics, if you have enough there to have an identification, But if they're lacking individual characteristics, although both prints may be, say, a whirl, if they aren't identical with the minutiae in them or the minor friction ridge characteristic, it's not an identification. Okay, how long have you been comparing fingerprints and identifying fingerprints? Oh, since about 1958. You have any idea of the number of fingerprints that you have compared and identified in your career? I really don't. Many. Okay. One other thing. Can you tell the age of a fingerprint? By that, I mean how long a fingerprint has actually been left on a surface? Never. You can't. Okay. What would there be some factors that might allow a fingerprint to stay on a surface longer or shorter? Yes. Periods of time? Yes. What sorts of things would affect that? Weather. Well, there's three things, four things, I guess. One would be psychological, mental attitude of the person leaving the print, the prints. Sometimes this can affect whether a person is sweating, the perspiration might add a little moisture to the print, or they may be perspiring too much, leaving too much water, liquid. If they are not perspiring at all and their fingers are dry, it may not leave a print. So the mental condition is a factor. Another factor would be the physical condition of the person leaving the print. This could be the ridges could be affected by occupation, illness, say psoriasis, maybe, or occupation, meaning a bricklayer, somebody that works with vehicles quite often, or the type of occupation that could damage the ridges. This could hurt it and is a factor on how good the prints may be if they are left at a scene. Another factor is atmospheric conditions. This is indoor or outdoor. Say it's outdoors. It could be the wind, rain, or sun. Indoors, it would be air conditioning, heating units in the house, and it could either add too much moisture or extract moisture from the print. So these are factors. The surface itself, smooth surfaces tend to leave are receptive to prints, porous surfaces. Sometimes it can be too porous such as a blotter on a desk or it could be slightly porous like a sheet of paper, which is very good to get prints off of and easy to get prints off of sometimes. Pitted surfaces print paint flaking on surfaces, rough, all these surface conditions are a factor. So what with surface, the weather conditions, condition of the fingers themselves, and the mental condition of the person, you have to have a perfect combination to leave a good print. Do you know how long, the maximum amount of time, that a print can remain intact? I don't. I know that some have lasted 40 or 50 years, and others evaporate within seconds. And again, I think you said that you were given some prints to compare, correct? I was. Now, when you do comparisons, would it be fair to say that not all fingerprints are created equally? Maybe. That some of them are a little more difficult to read than others? Well, it depends on those factors. Prints themselves, under ideal conditions, are okay to read, but it depends on the print itself under what conditions it's recovered, okay? Are there some latents that you simply cannot read? Latent prints? Oh, yes, yes. Okay. Is that unusual? No, it's common, in fact. Okay. What types of latents might you receive that you simply cannot do anything with? Can't make a comparison. Well, there's several things. They can be overlapping, one on top of another. Or three, maybe overlapping, partial prints, that is the finger or palm or whatever, may touch an object in such a way that it doesn't leave a sufficient ridge details with enough points of comparison, enough little detail. It could be that they are awful faint, just can't be seen. Maybe a grayish type image. Some of these are factors that make prints hard to identify. Okay, Mr. Kron let me show you State's exhibits 85-F and 85-G, and ask you to take a look at those two documents and tell me whether you recognize them or not. I do. What do they appear to be? You mean read from the card? Yes, sir. Exhibit 8856. Well, I'm sorry, that's going to be G. Oh, G. Exhibits 85-G and 85-F. Are the latent prints handed me from the roulette PD? They are from the inside of the entry door between the garage and the washroom, and they appear to be in blood. Okay? Are you familiar with that location? Yes, okay. Is that going to be the door leading from the utility room to the garage? Yes, the washroom, what we're calling the utility room. OK. Are there latents on the back of those cards? Yes, okay. What were you able to do with those two latents? Well, I compared them, but I wasn't able to make any identification. Okay, why not? They are in liquid, they are partial. I can see ridges. I mean, they are obviously palm or finger, probably finger, but there's not enough points of comparison to identify anyone. Okay, so even if you had a known fingerprint that you are looking at, would you be able to make a comparison and an identification? based on what you have got in front of you there. No, I couldn't identify the correct print if it was in front of me, and I was making a comparison with these. Okay. Mr. Kron, looking at State's Exhibit No. 85-H, do you recognize that? Yes, I do. Okay. Is that also a latent that was given to you by Rowlett? Yes. Where did that latent come from? this is from the sliding glass door leading from the family room out to the back patio. Okay, and what were you able to do with the latent on 85-H? Nothing. It was too partial. There was some friction ridges there, but I couldn't make any identification. Okay, if you had a perfect print in front of you that belonged to that individual, could you make a comparison and tell us if that individual left that latent on 85-H? I could not. If you would, please look at states, exhibits 85-I and 85-J. Do you recognize those also? I do. Okay, and those two of the latents given to you by Rowlett? Yes. Where did they come from? Off the glass tabletop in the family room. And one of them, well, both of them, That's right. Both of them are off the glass-topped table. Okay. What were you able to determine by looking at those two latents? That there is ridge detail, a few points of comparison, but I can't, couldn't make any identification. Okay. Same thing as you had with the other sets that I have just shown you. Yes. These are better prints, but still lacked sufficient points of identification. Okay. Actually, they're the same. Let's see. That is, oh, yes, that is, they're double lifts of the same print. Okay. He attempted, the man that lifted it tried to get it clear, make it clear by the second lift, and it didn't work. Okay. How would you classify the size of these two latents? Small. Okay. What do you mean by small? What would that be consistent with? A juvenile, it could be. It fits the criteria to be a younger person's prints. Okay. What are those criteria? Small ridges. Let me just ask you the two prints here, 85 I and J, would they be considered with having been left by a five or six year old child? It's possible. Yes, sir. Okay. Mr. Kron, let me show you what's been marked as State's Exhibit 85 88 A, B, C, D, E, and F. Do you recognize those also, sir? Yes, sir. Okay. Were they also latents given to you by the Rowlett Police Department? Yes. Do the cards indicate when those latents were lifted? November 26, 1996. Okay. Where did they come from? One of them, do I need to give? Yes, if you would go through each one. 88-D came from a plastic bowl upstairs in the Northeast bathroom. 88 E from the door trim upstairs in the northeast bathroom. 88 F, sink counter along the northeast edge of the upstairs bathroom. 88 A, the sink in the northeast end of the corner of the upstairs bathroom. 88 B, the sink northeast end of the counter, sink counter, upstairs bathroom. 88 C, upstairs northeast bathroom, sink. Okay, let me ask you looking at these latents that were from the bathroom upstairs in that residence, was there enough ridge detail for you to make comparisons using these latent fingerprints or palm prints? There was one. I would have to re-look at them, but one of them, there was enough ridge detail. There may be more. All right. Were you ever able to identify the print that had enough ridge detail here? No. When you went out there that day on June the 6th, did you have any reason to believe that the intruder had ever been upstairs in that bathroom at 5801 Eagle Drive? I saw no indications of any intruder being upstairs. Mr. Cron, let me show you what's been marked as State's Exhibit 85-A, B, C, D, and E. If you would, please look at those five cards. Mr. Mulder then asks, is that 85-A through E? Mr. Greg Davis says, right. And then he says, okay. He then continues questioning. All right. Do you recognize those, sir? Yes. Okay. Are they latents given to you by the Rowlett Police Department? They are. And do the cards indicate where those latents were actually lifted? Yes. And would you please tell us where those latents came from? Let me try to put these in alphabetical order. I should have done it on the last stack. Okay. 85 A was off the southeast window, lower inside ledge, or the frame of the ledge of the window frame. Do you want me to get into the feet and inches or anything? No, sir. Okay, first of all, as you look through there, does it indicate that all of those latents came from the same window? Yes, all right. Do they indicate that they all came from generally the same area of the window? Yes, and what area would that be? the inside lower edge, the border of the window. The inside? Yes, sir. Looking at the latents there in front of you, can you tell how many different latents that you have? And I guess what I'm asking is this. Do you feel like we have any duplicates in the five latents that you have in front of you? Yes, there are duplicates, okay? There are two cards have the same prints, okay? Do you, could you tell us just which two cards have the same prints? I may have to re re examine, unless I may have to look at them again real quickly. Okay. I just happen to have a magnifying glass. Okay. When I examined those for the Rowlett Police Department, I told them, you know, what they had, but I didn't mark on here that A and B match and so on and so forth. So let me look at them real quick. Okay. All right. I'm ready. Okay. 85-A, B, and D have, they are multiple lifts. That is, they are all the same print. That's A, B, and D, right? A, B, and D. Okay. How about the other two? 85-C and E are multiple lifts. They are both the same print. Okay. Let's talk, first of all, about the latent that is shown on A, B, and D. Can you tell us from looking at that whether or not we're looking at a fingerprint or a palm print? By the appearance of it, it's a partial print, but it appears to be a palm print, partial palm print as opposed to an individual finger. All right, partial palm print for A, B, and D, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Now, if you would, looking at C and E, Same question. Can you tell us what we're looking at there? Yes, C and E, same thing, appears to be a palm and has less tendency to look like a finger. In fact, I would say that it is a palm print. Okay, so a little bit more certain about C and E being a palm print? Yes. Let me ask you with regards to the latent that is shown on 85 A, B, and D, did you compare that against known prints? I did. Did you compare it against prints of all the emergency personnel out there at the residence that day? Yes. Including yourself and my own prints? Yes. Did you also compare it against the fingerprint of the defendant in this case? I did. As well as the defendant's husband? Yes, finger and palms. Okay. Were you ever, ever able to make an identification on the latent shown on A, B, and D? No. Same questions for the latent shown on C and E. Did you compare it against the known fingerprints of the emergency personnel as well as the defendant and her husband? I did. Were you ever able to make identification on that latent print? I was not. Can you tell me what conclusions, if any, that you drew from looking at the latents shown on States Exhibit 85-A, B, and D? They don't belong As I stated, they don't belong to anyone that was there at the scene that morning. They, the C and D ones, are palms, prints on, which are all the same. But the print on A, B, and D, R have a tendency to be palms, although part of it could be a finger. It looks like an overlap. There's they have, based on the size of the ridges, an educated opinion could be that they could be a juvenile, as I stated, There is no scientific way to determine the age of a person leaving a print, but the size of them are indicative of being a smaller person's print. But that, you know, is my opinion from looking at latents and ridges over the years. But I can't say beyond any doubt that it belongs to a juvenile. Okay, just that it has a tendency to be that? Yes, sir. Okay, how about the other latent shown on C and E? the one that you feel a little bit more definite about being a palm print. The same there. Based on size of the ridges, it has a tendency to look like a smaller adult or a juvenile's ridges based on size. And again, that is just based on opinion from looking at prints, juveniles, and adults. But it's not a, there is not a scientific method in determining that. Let me ask you, you said You had indicated in your testimony that the cards indicate that these latents were lifted from the inside portion of the window frame. Is that right? Yes. Would that affect how long these fingerprints could remain on that frame? It would protect them from the weather. That is one thing that it does add to the longevity of a print. Okay, Mr. Kron, when you had the latents there in front of you, 85A, B, C, D, and E, as well as latents from the upstairs bathroom in the house, yes. Okay, did you have either the fingerprints or the palm prints of Damon or Devin Routier to compare those latents against? I did not. Just a couple more questions about these fingerprints. When you go out to process a scene, do you always get latents where you think you might get latents? No, I don't. Is it unusual to print a room and not get any latents? No, the latents are fragile. Sometimes we get them, sometimes we don't. It's a shot in the dark. Is that, would that be true even if you know that people have recently been in that room and touching things? Yes. Mr. Kron, I want to ask you some questions about the utility room. And again, you had an opportunity, did you not, to look at that floor on June 6th, 1996? I did. Okay. Let me ask you, sir, did you see blood on the floor? Yes. The type of blood that you saw on that utility room floor that morning, sir. Was that blood, in your opinion, consistent or inconsistent with a knife having been thrown or dropped on that floor that morning? Inconsistent. And why do you say it was inconsistent? The drops of blood on the floor were slow-moving or low-velocity drops. There was no cast-off blood. By cast-off, I mean when an object that has blood on it hits a hard surface with any force, blood is literally cast off and it leaves little teardrop-shaped stains or patterns as opposed to the drop patterns from falling blood on a flat surface. And I saw nothing like that in the scene. And you are sure you saw no cast-off blood on that floor. I looked for it and didn't see any. Not of a knife being dropped on the floor. And the knife that you saw up on the kitchen counter, do you recall that? Yes. Did that knife still have blood on its blade when you saw it? Yes, sir. The blood, again, in the utility room that you saw, how did you characterize that? It would be classed as straight drops, low velocity, slow movement to no movement. Okay, If I'm bleeding here this morning from my hand and I am standing still or my hand is not moving and the blood drops straight down on the floor, how would you characterize that type of blood that would fall on this carpet? Well, that would be low velocity. You know, there there is three velocities, low, medium, and high velocity. Low velocity is blood that drops approximately five feet per second Medium is under 25 feet, and that medium velocity blood is the type you get if somebody is beaten with a club, say a baseball bat, or, you know, a tire iron. The blood is cast off from when the club is swung, it travels a little faster than low velocity and leaves a different type of pattern. High velocity is pulverized blood. It's more like a spray. It's from a shotgun or a pistol, firearm type injuries. And when it hits a person, the blood is pulverized and leaves a fine mist. That is the type, and it travels over 25 feet per second. Okay, let's assume again that I am bleeding from this hand, okay, and I run across this floor this morning as opposed to just standing or walking very slowly, okay? Would you expect to see a different type of blood drop on this carpet or flooring surface from this hand this time? Yes, the faster you are moving, the more elongated the shape of the drops. All right. The blood or all liquid drops in a ball. It's not like the drawings in cartoons where somebody's somebody's sweating and it looks like teardrops or when you see cartoons or drawings of rainfall. Rain doesn't fall that way. All liquid that is in contact, it's in a ball. When it hits, it It makes contact with a hard surface and it flows in the direction opposite of where it's coming. If it's coming from the side, it will hit and flow out in a teardrop effect in the direction of travel. And if it's straight down, there is no travel. It only makes a round drop or slightly elongated drop. So there is no direction. You can't tell if somebody was going left or right or north or east or what when it's a round drop. Okay, let me ask you this. These drops that you saw there in the utility room, were they consistent or inconsistent with an individual bleeding and running quickly through that room, sir? A slow moving individual left those drops. Okay. And let me ask you about the blood drops that you saw on the kitchen floor. Okay. Do you recall those drops? Yes. In the kitchen? Yes. Yes, sir. I'm talking about now about the area leading from the family room back to the utility room do you recall the types of drops that were on that floor there? Yes. What types of drops were there? Again, that's low velocity, slight movement, very little movement. Obviously, the person who dropped them was moving because they were progressive drops, but they were almost all from anywhere from a 70 degree to 90 degree angle, which indicates that it was almost straight down. Were those drops consistent or inconsistent with a person holding a bloody knife and running through that kitchen? Inconsistent. Were those drops consistent or inconsistent with an individual who was bleeding running through the kitchen? Yes, inconsistent, but walking through. is consistent with walking through the kitchen. How about the, did you see blood drops leading or between the kitchen sink and the utility room? Between the kitchen sink and utility room? Yes, sir. Did you see any blood drops between those two areas? Yes. Okay. Let's talk about those blood drops. Were they consistent or inconsistent with a person running through that area of the kitchen holding a bloody knife? It's inconsistent. Again, why? They were almost 90 degree, that is, straight down, slight angle, 70 degree angle, slow moving, similar to an arm moving. There was no speed indicated by the shape of those drops. Okay. Again, would those drops be consistent or inconsistent with a person who is bleeding running through that portion of the kitchen? Inconsistent. Again, the same reasons? Yes. The court then says, "Why don't we go ahead and take our morning break now for 15 minutes, please?" Mr. Greg Davis then says, "All right, thank you." The court says, "All right." And at this point they are taking their morning break and we are going to end this episode right now, because we are over an hour. All right, so let's, and I promise this is going to be brief, I just took a bunch of notes as I was listening to that to edit it. So essentially, it kind of starts off with the, well, various exhibits, and the exhibits are 43 dash A through D, as well as number 93. And here they're essentially just talking about the roll marks that the vacuum had made, of the blood on the handle of the vacuum, a little bit of blood on the body of the vacuum, and some on the wheels. But then they get into the exhibits 46-A through G. And first of all, A and B show specifically the blood on the vacuum handle. And they say that the smears on this handle are consistent with someone who's holding the handle and who has blood on their hands. C, D, and E, this is 46, C, D, and E specifically show the top of the bag of the vacuum and the back of the vacuum, including the cord, which also had blood on it. And F and G are showing the base of the vacuum, um, kind of the corner of the vacuum, and Kron said it was deposited on top of the vacuum as the vacuum was not upright. I got a little confused at that because at first I thought he said it was upright, and then he said no. Most of it was in when the vacuum was in the down position, and that the blood droplets were actually round, straight drops. Next, they get into the footprints, um, which I was really curious to hear about. I'm sure you were, too. And this is 43-B, State's Exhibit 43-B. There was some kind of, um, well, first of all, they start off by talking about the bloody bear footprints that were leading away from the kitchen sink. And they said that when they asked, hey, were there any bloody footprints from the family room to the utility room, Cron said that no, there were no bare footprints also found in the utility room. In 43-G though, there's this partial shoe print and it's a heel print and it's heading from the counter in the kitchen. And here I'm going to assume that he's talking about the kitchen island leading from this counter in the kitchen to the utility room door. And I thought, okay, well, here's this heel print Who does it belong to? And he said that they had it analyzed and it was actually Sergeant Wallings. So, one of the officers who had been in the crime scene before obviously had stepped in some blood and tracked it at least that far. Kron also said he looked at the wine rack. There was no blood on the wine rack itself or the glasses or the bottles that were there. He said he tried to shake the wine rack and he said when he did that nothing fell off and then they move into or they start discussing the family room and because there were shoe prints behind the couch by the sliding glass doors and what they had done is cut out uh, some of this carpet to try and determine okay where did this shoe print or or boot print is what it ended up being boot print come from And they said after they tested that, it was consistent to boot prints of the paramedics that had come into the house. Now, when uh, Brian Koshak, one of the paramedics, had testified, and that was much earlier in this trial, he essentially said that when he arrived at the scene, one child was already being attended to by Colby, the other paramedic. And the other child, which would be Devin, was on the opposite side of the room. And Devin was over there by the uh, television and the center, um, the large glass table there in the center of the family room. And he did say that he had to navigate around Colby in order to get to that area. But I don't know that he specifically said, hey, he had to walk behind the couch. Um, But anyway, just so you have that piece of information. They then bring up State's Exhibit 35-C, and this essentially shows it's the near the couch and the glass coffee table that was there, and they talk about the blanket and the pillows and even the couch itself. And Kron is asked if he noticed any cuts or defects or anything in any of those items, the blankets, the pillows, and the couch, and he says no, he did not, and 35-H, there is a, also a chair in that room and also did not notice any cuts or tears or defects on that either. When asked how long he was there, meaning crying, he said he was there at the scene until 3.30 that afternoon. And then they finally get into the latent prints that were lifted by Officer Hamilton there was a lot of explanation about fingerprints, what they look like, all the different portions of a fingerprint, what's important, and so forth and so on. So at first, they talk about state's exhibits 85-F and 85-G. And as the prosecution hands Kron these fingerprint cards that Hamilton had, had taken while he was at the scene, he's asked to read them. And as he's reading 85-G, he says, okay, 8.56. And he has to be told that, no, it's not 8.56, it's 85-G. So either, you know, I'm thinking maybe his eyesight might be not that great, or perhaps it was even just bad handwriting. Now, both of these are prints taken from the door between the garage and the utility room. and. These are the fingerprints, if you remember, that were found in blood on this door. No IDs were made from these fingerprints. They then move on to 85-H, and these are the prints on the sliding glass door that goes from the family room to the outside, to the backyard, and there they could not ID any of the fingerprints. And then there's 85-A and 85-J, and this is from that glass table in the family room. And if you remember, these are, this was a double print. So Hamilton had gone over there and noticed this and taken one print and then did a duplicate of that print just to try and get something. And again, no identification was made on these fingerprints either. But the prosecution then goes ahead and says he's asked, he's asked Cron. He says, hey, um, are these, you know, by their size? What, what can you say? And Kron mentions that they're small and then further says, it looks like a juvenile. My, I was really surprised at this, not at what he said, but at the fact that the defense didn't offer any objection to this as speculation. I'm not an attorney. I don't know. Maybe you just don't do that but it just kind of, you know, here's this spot and Kron is saying, hey, go ahead, or he's being asked to speculate on, well, what would you think? You know, even though you didn't get any prints, what does this look like to you? And why just these prints? What about the other prints? Why was he not asked about the size and everything else of the prints that they've discussed so far? He then continues to say that it could be from a five or six-year-old child. And again, really no objection here he does say it's possible very very speculative they then move on to 88 dash a b c d e and f and these are prints from the bathroom upstairs and if you remember this is something that the prosecutor had someone go in and do at the end of November. This was months after the crime had occurred, but he's like, hey, can you go upstairs and grab these fingerprints from this bathroom, which essentially was the children's bathroom upstairs. And they said that only one of the prints was good, but even then they didn't have anything to compare it to. So even though they had this, this print, they didn't even have the fingerprints of the children, so they couldn't even compare it to the fingerprints of the children. And he further, Kron further said, that he saw no indication of an intruder being upstairs. But if you remember from a previous testimony, a previous episode, they had also said that someone was instructed to go over to the railing and take a blood sample from the railing. So I'm really curious about this. Was there another railing in the room or in the house that we're not aware of? I don't know. I'm hoping they really get to this because that He's like, hey, there's no indication of this guy or whomever being upstairs, but yet there's this blood on the railing. So I'm very, very curious to see what happens with that and what they end up talking about. I hope the defense touches on this. They then finally get to prints on the windowsill in the garage, and these are 85A, B, C, D, and E. Now, 85A, B, and D are all the same print. Uh, There was... No ID on these, even when they were compared to Darren and Darley. C and E, again, no ID on these as well, even compared to Darren and Darley. Um, a, B, and D was kind of a partial palm print, and so was C and E. But then Cron, again, continues to say all of them, A, B, C, D, and E of 85, uh, says that they were smaller, a smaller person's print. And again, he's kind of speculating. And finally, they get to the utility room where the knife was dropped. And he says, Kron says, that this knife was not dropped because there was no cast-off blood. He said that the blood on the floor showed slow drops, a very low velocity. And then he goes into the whole low velocity and high velocity explanation of what these blood drops should be. But he does say it is consistent, the drops in this room, it is consistent with somebody who's moving very slow. And again, the same information, very slow-moving person, with the drops to the utility room from the kitchen. And essentially what he's saying and how it ends up is that he's saying that all of these blood drops are not consistent with someone running through the home. Rather, somebody just walking very naturally through the home. So that's just kind of a really brief wrap up of what he spoke about in the first portion of this testimony on this day up until they had the jury take a break. And so now that the jury is back in the room, we will continue with James Cron's testimony. Did I say that right? James Cron's yes, testimony. Um, in the next episode, which will be episode number 77. So I look forward to catching up with you. And before I forget, I want to be sure that you know that all of these images that they've talked about, if I have access to them and if I can put them up on the website at beachhouse34.com, I will do so. So you can actually refer to them as you listen to this episode, if that's something you're able to do. Obviously, you don't do this in the car. But um, but yeah, so if it's helpful to you, I'm going to put them up there, at least all the ones that I have access to. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. We will talk really soon.